For this episode of the podcast, we were able to have Major Samuel Richardson on. Major Richardson is the former Debt 330 Operations Flight Commander from 2017 to 2019 and is currently a Threat Reduction Prevention Product Manager at the Joint Artificial Intelligence Center. He's a product of Army RTC at North Carolina A&T. He spent time initially as an infantry officer in the United States Army, then transitioned into the Air Force as a civil engineering officer, where he has had a variety of positions within the Air Force National Guard. He received his bachelor's in civil engineering and has since obtained his master's doctorate and is currently working on his second doctorate in strategic leadership from Liberty University. Major Richardson dropped some insightful advice on how to be an effective cadet and officer and spoke about his career progression and brought him to where he is today. Hope you all enjoy. Major Samuel Richardson, ladies and gentlemen. So we are recording now. Uh, today on the podcast, we're lucky to have Major Richardson. Um, if you could, Major Richardson, just describe a little bit about yourself, um, how you got on this podcast today, and you know your career throughout the military so far. All right. So my name is Major Samuel Richardson. Um, currently, right now, I'm a civil engineering officer in the DC National Guard, Air National Guard. Um, so I've been part of the Air Force for, since 2014, and then before that, I was actually uh, active duty army an infantry officer. So I did that for four years. Um, why I'm here is because I used to be cadre for the uh, for the excellent cadets of detachment 330. And I'm um, just back here to spit some knowledge, let them know what's going on in the real Air Force. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Um, Major Richardson, uh, as you listeners probably don't know, uh, was my FTP instructor for my sophomore year. So got a lot of golden nuggets from him going into my summer. Um, and definitely a good leader in this Air Force and great to have his experience on today. So um, starting off, uh, we're all kind of familiar that you started in Army ROTC. Um, if you could, could you just describe your experience, where you went to college and kind of maybe how that differs from Air Force ROTC and kind of what you learned from that process? Okay, so I mean, initially I actually wanted to do Air Force ROTC, but honestly in college I was lazy. So I decided to just accept the Army scholarship um, so I did Army ROTC at North Carolina A&T State University. That's in Greensboro, North Carolina. Uh, I mean, it was a pretty good experience. Uh, same kind of experience the cadets get at Detachment 330, but we were more focused on like battle drills uh, as in Detachment 330, kind of more focused on doing drills and marching around and things of that nature. Um, but I got a lot of chances to be vocal in front of my peers and cadets that were older than me. Um, I really enjoyed it. And then I actually got a good opportunity to uh, still be a student. So I think that's a, a big advantage for ROTC cadets is that they are able to actually be college students compared to going to the academy or just doing OTS or OCS. Uh, so I definitely commend all the cadets for actually doing ROTC and getting both, both worlds, uh, the best of both worlds. Um, but ROTC was definitely where I formed my, my foundation for leadership, my philosophy, uh, taking care of people, making sure that they understand what, what's necessary um, in order to be successful in the future. So you guys, you gals, make sure you are taking in everything that you're learning. This is building you as a leader for not just for the Air Force, but actually for you after the Air Force, how you're going to operate with your family, your friends, everything that's part of your life. But uh, ROTC was definitely the foundation of my leadership. So when you chose to do ROTC and you said you'd mentioned about thinking about doing Air Force, uh, what was kind of the reason behind doing ROTC? Was it just to join the military? Did you have a kind of career path set in mind for a specific like position in the future? Or was it just kind of like, um, I was thinking about military already and it kind of added that school option to it? So both my parents, they're actually uh, senior NCOs. They were army and senior NCOs. And they didn't really care if I did the military, but uh, it was one day when I was a, a senior, like early my senior year in the high school, I went to the guidance counselor and I went to go look up a major and uh, I seen what major I want to do. I want to do civil engineering. Then I was like, all right, so how am I going to pay for this school? Then that's why I was like, oh man, I guess I'm going to do ROTC because that's all the real real method of paying for it because I didn't really want to rack in a whole bunch of debt from student loans. So 
Um, I, initially, I wanted to do Air Force ROTC. Um, I, I love what the Air Force was all about, being professionally in the military or whatnot. But uh, I was lazy at that time. I didn't feel like doing them SATs over again. So Army ROTC was where it was at for me. So, I mean, it was pretty easy for getting that scholarship. Um, the requirements just were a little more demanding for like, you know, the PT. But other than that, you still learn how to lead troops. And uh, that's what I still wanted. So, and for somebody to pay for college. So I thought that was a good deal. Yeah, absolutely. I think I was kind of the same boat. And I would say like a lot of people kind of attribute to the fact that like kind of why you join is probably not why you stay. Um, mm -hmm. Learn a lot through RTC that kind of opens your mind up to vast possibilities and leadership opportunities and just ways to grow, which I think is uh, pretty cool being in this program. But um, going through you know, Army RTC, being that civil engineering major, did you ever think about doing civil engineering? Or is it kind of like, I'm a young kid, I want to do something cool, boots on ground? Uh, why, why did you choose infantry per se? So I didn't choose infantry, the Army chose it for me. Okay. Okay. Honestly, I really, I really was expecting to go into the Corps of Engineers, uh, blow up stuff, build some bridges, um, be a sapper. That's kind of like the ranger of the engineering world. Uh, but I mean, that was put on a hold and big army was like, nah, Cadet Richardson, we're gonna, we're gonna let you kick down doors and train, train troops out in the field. So, I mean, honestly, I thought that was a blessing in disguise. I really learned a lot as an infantry officer going out there, training, training guys, being out in the field, being at the shooting range, um, just planning on operations overseas. I mean, it was a good experience and it was a lot of, Leadership, leadership lessons that I learned doing that. So I think that just made me stronger as an individual, stronger as a, a leader, as a coach, as a mentor, as a advisor, whatever. Um, but a lot of things that come your way that you're not expecting, uh, just give it 100, 110% because you don't know what that's gonna lead to. Uh, it's gonna open up more doors. Honestly, if I would have been more focused as an infantry officer, I would have had my Ranger tab, I'd have been decked out. And I probably would have brought that over to the Air Force. Maybe I wouldn't have been in the Air Force. So maybe that was all for a reason, who knows. But give whatever you're doing 110% is my advice on that. If you don't get what you want for your career. Absolutely. And that's, that's another thing we kind of talk about sometimes is if you end up with one career that maybe you weren't kind of looking towards, whether it's an Air Force RTC, even Army RTC, that there's opportunities to transition to something else. Yeah. Switch career fields. Um, obviously yours is a little different switching actually military branches. Um, can you talk about kind of how that process went down? Um, I think that's not really a common process that happens too much. So I'm kind of curious how that all uh, played out for you. So switching branches, I mean, especially if you're going from like guard to guard, I mean, it's kind of typical, but mm -hmm. I, didn't, I didn't have any real information about it. So, um, Doing it was kind of uh, time consuming. Well, not even time consuming. It was, uh, it was a lengthy process because you had to get different approvals. Even though right when I got out and I was on terminal leave from going off of active duty, that's when I made captain. So I was still going to remain a captain in the Air Force, but you just had to get so many documents signed off by like people. Uh, if, if you're going from Army to Air Force, big Air Force has to sign off on things. If you're going to the National Guard, then the people at the National Guard Bureau have to sign off on things. So it just depends on what agency or organization you're trying to transition to. But for me, it was just, it was a waiting process. It took about four months because I transitioned to the, to the Air National Guard as a contractor initially. And then the contract ended. And then that's when I decided, well, we already had decided that we were going to transition me over to a, a officer within the unit. So that actually took about four months. So I was just kind of sitting at home, not really doing anything for about four months. But when it was when it was said and done, I got into the organization and then I had to learn how to be an Air Force officer, which was kind of uh, interesting. Um, for, say for instance, like briefings, uh, briefings, kind of like more aggressive, more direct. Uh, but when I transitioned to, over to the Air Force, briefings were more kind of just uh, you know, business-like um, more soft tone on your approach, trying to engage the, uh, the actual individuals and the audience a little bit more. But um, there's just different things from both branches, different cultures, different beliefs that you got to get accustomed to. 
And then in doing so, I think that even made me a, a better officer in a joint environment because I, I understand the culture on the Army side as well as the Air Force side. Um, so now I just got to get to the Navy side and just understand the main branches and I'll be good to go. Yes, sir. You got Navy and Marines to go. <laughs> yeah, Navy and Marines and Coast Guard. Space Force and Space Force. Don't forget the Space Force. And Space Force. I got to get in there, too. Yeah, every three years, sir. Branch to branch. <laughs> Get the whole the whole deck of cards in there. Um, the whole yes, sir. Um, so how would you say you mentioned a little bit about briefings, but would you say leadership's different as well? Um, I've heard army is a lot more kind of lead from the point, kind of take a like if you're a leader, kind of lead by example, which is the same in the Air Force, but I feel like Air Force is a little more providing opportunities to everyone else. Um, would you say like leadership training in general was kind of different and kind of how their leaders kind of acted in their positions? Uh-huh. Again, it depends on what unit you're in, uh, but overall, I would say that they're pretty, they're fairly the same with the the concept on how they lead. Um, but for the army, I sw- I feel like the army was kind of, in my experience, was a little more family oriented um, on their approach on being leaders, and the air force is more kind of like it's about that business. You need to make sure that you're. Uh, that you're ready to go, that you know your stuff, that you are ready to produce whatever type of product deliverable uh, is needed by the organization. So, but I mean, it's both ways. So you can have that on the Army side too. If you're like in a different career field, like acquisitions, whatever, it just depends on what career field you're in and what kind of leaders are being produced. But for the most part, I feel like they're pretty similar. I mean, we're all under DOD, so we kind of all bleed the same blood or whatnot. So everybody kind of kind of understands the, the culture of the military. But I mean, everybody just has their own particulars within their organizations. So, I mean, for the most part, they're the same though. I feel that, I feel like, so. Right, that makes sense. And I'm sure it differs between, like you mentioned the career fields and kind of what your job entails. Um, obviously I've heard, I've, we had some top podcasts with special operations individuals and stuff like that. And they're saying uh, some of their missions, like they just had to get, um, and sometimes you had to bend the rules a little bit or be a little more um, out there to really get those jobs done compared to other career fields. Maybe that's you need to follow the rules a little bit but more by the book. Um, yeah. So I'm sure it all kind of just depends on the situation that you're in. Um, and then as we're as we're in a joint environment, so a lot of a lot of joint opportunities. You know, working with the Army, Air Force, Marines, whatever. I mean, then you really start to see everything kind of bleed together, blend together, uh, all the cultures and uh, the processes. Um, and then you get a better understanding of like the different services once you get into those those joint jobs. So that's another thing to look at um, if you're a cadet rising up to become an officer is like the joint jobs. Those give you some great experience or experiences how to be a better officer and you get to see um, the military at a different lens instead of just being in the Air Force or the, the Space Force or whatever. So try to get a joint venture somewhere else um, doing something. Um, so that you can get eyes on the whole DOD instead of just the Air Force. Have you had any joint positions yet? So I'm currently in a joint position. So I just got picked up to do the Joint Artificial Intelligence Center. So right now I'm a product manager. Um, I actually just started this week, but I'm supposed to be managing uh, various products for threat and was it threat reduction and prevention. So that's the mission initiative that I'm in. And some of the projects that they got already in the pipeline is like the, the fire perimeter. So they work with um, they work with the military, other military departments to analyze the, the path of the fires that we got over in like California and, and the West Coast. Um, we got projects that are focused on uh, hurricane relief. Um, they got a whole bunch of AI components working together to give better products and information for people that are boots on the ground, trying to help out people that are being, a, that are affected by the hurricanes. So those are some of the different projects that my mission initiative works on. So I'm pretty excited about getting into that. So is that under the DC Air National Guard? So that's actually under the Office of Secretary of Defense. So that's a DOD type position. So that's a that's a joint. So I actually work with some Navy guys, a Coast Guard guy, and then an Army guy. So that's a joint position. Right. And that's within active duty, of course, correct? Yeah. 
So that's that's still another active duty position. And then like, so one thing that I do want to preach is like, okay, if you don't want to do active duty, like you're tired of moving around or whatever, um, there's always opportunity to go reserve or guard. And being in the, the guard or reserve, you can still be active duty. Um, just pretty much like what I've been doing. Like when I went to the University of Maryland, I was on active duty orders for two years. Then I transitioned over back to the DC National Guard where I was on another set of orders working for the, for the commanding general over there. And now I'm on another set of orders over here at the Joint Artificial Intelligence Center. So you have the opportunity to continue being active duty if you don't want to stay active duty, but you can do it in the Guard or Reserves. So that's a, that's a gold nugget I want to throw out there. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Um, that definitely seems like something that's not brought up a good amount, but um, it's definitely important to hit on. So how challenging is it to get those active duty slots within like an Air National Guard unit? Is it hard to come by or is it just something you really need to just kind of put your foot and kind of cards towards? I mean, like with any job, it's competitive. You got to have you got to have some credentials, you know, uh, you got to be marketable. So you got to have some professional development. So a lot of the things that I do, so getting my PhD, working on this doctorate in strategic leadership, uh, did some executive leadership course at uh, Wharton Schoolhouse over at the University of Pennsylvania, uh, did a, another course at Harvard, did a course at Loyola, uh, Maryland, Loyola, Maryland, whatnot. Um, but always making yourself marketable, trying to be better than your competition. So you're competing against a lot of other people. So. You want to make sure that you're the best of the best and give them a reason why to, they want to select you and show that you're going to be an asset, not a liability. Um, so just make yourself marketable. Um, it's these ADOSs, these active, it's active duty. Um, I forgot what ADOS stands for, but an ADOS or AGR position, um, military vac vacancy announcement, MBA, which in the Air National Guard is like a stat tour, which is like a four year active duty tour. Um, these positions are definitely competitive, but you just got to make sure that your, you know, your resume speaks for itself. Um, so make sure you get some good qualifications, make sure you're qualified, make sure you're confident in an interview and, uh, then they'll pick you up and it'll be easy. And then it's not gonna be easy, but also you got to also think about your network. Who do you know? Who knows you? And do they know your worth? Do they know your work ethic? And how is that going to be able to help you into opening up doors to get some of these AGRs? So those are some of the things you can, you got to think about when, when working that particular area or the avenue trying to get that AGR, maintain it. Yes, sir. So going through all the ed education, PhD, everything else, how did you go about doing that while still having a full-time position? Was that something that just like nighttime school, um, was there opportunities to kind of provide through the Air Force to get into these kind of schools and kind of how did you go about really getting through all this education and like creating these opportunities for yourself? So I did, I actually did my master's degree when I was a first lieutenant. So with doing that, it's all about time management. So you're going to have a full-time job, but you always going to have downtime. So depending, if you have a good job that you're able to maneuver some taskings and get your stuff done, do it, make sure you're taking advantage of your downtime. Um, like during lunch, I was doing discussion posts, uh, whatever, whatever free time, any downtime that you got, you gotta, you gotta make sure you're engaged and making sure that you're actually being productive in that time. But my PhD, uh, I was able to do that because of the positions that I had. Um, I was able to maneuver some taskings in order to get stuff done. Maybe during the day, maybe not during the day. Maybe I had to stay up late at night to get some some assignments done. But it was always finding that free time that wasn't filled up by uh, family, by work, by friends, and actually applying that to my education. So at University of Maryland, I was able to actually finish it out, and um, I had definitely some downtime if I wasn't with the cadets or if I wasn't working on. Uh, various assignments, grading, whatever, um, had downtime to actually focus on doing some of that stuff. So uh, I'm definitely grateful for the opportunities I had because they allowed me to actually to finish this PhD back in 2018. And now I'm able to work on doing this doctorate in strategic leadership. So 
find downtime and take advantage of it if you're going to do it during your 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 active duty time you have to find that downtime and you have to be able to manage your time and be organized and then you also got to show your leadership that you can still do this education and be uh, very effective and efficient at your job so downtime find a way to get it done and be and still be efficient so education is definitely definitely a, a, a game changer so make sure you invest in yourself so first talking about that master's degree when you're first lieutenant was that something that kind of going for tuition everything came out of your own pocket or is that something the army kind of helped you pay for so my master's degree i actually came out of pocket because i didn't want to stay in the army so but there's options for master's degree if you want to get you a, if you want to get a free master's degree there's a number of programs in the Air Force to get you a free master's degree. You just gotta do your research. And then if you do your time in the Air Force and you decide to get out, you have the GI Bill post 9-11 that you can utilize to get you a master's degree or you can get a master's degree and a PhD depending on how you do it. But there's different opportunities for getting a master's degree. Um, different schools, say for instance, uh, the National Defense University, they have a master's degree. Um, uh, NIU has a master's degree, and these are all free master's degrees. I think AFID has a master's degree for engineers. Um, but these are all free, and you just got to do your research, and you got to be competitive in order to be selected to be in some of these programs. So ensure that you maintain your competitiveness and so that you can open up these doors to different programs and different jobs so that you're not just kind of just sitting in the back burner in your Air Force career and just doing four years and getting out and not having nothing to show for it, so. Yes, sir. So you got your bachelor's in civil engineering. Could you explain kind of what you got in your master's and your doctorate and kind of some of the other educations that you went through? Was so my master's, I got that in environmental engineering. Um, I really enjoyed my environmental classes in my undergrad so I wanted to go ahead and pursue that and initially I thought I was going to be like an environmental manager working for the EPA that's why I was going for it but then I looked at how much they were getting paid and I was like yeah that's not gonna work so I kind of like branched off I mean if I can go back and do it again I probably just got an MBA instead of getting an environmental um, or environmental engineering degree but I mean I still learned a lot and I, I actually enjoyed the program um, and then my PhD program, I got the PhD in management, uh, focused in organizational leadership change. Um, that program, I kind of learned a, a lot more about just being a leader and the different components to like making up leadership and the theories, the principles, um, the behind the scenes of being a leader, a manager or whatnot. So that was a good program. Uh, I did my dissertation in energy management. I actually focused on the DC Air National Guard on how they were consuming energy. So that actually took me about two and a half years to complete. Uh, I was doubling up on a lot of classes. So it was a lot of late nights because I was trying to get that done because I, I didn't want to run out of money because I was using my my uh, my post 9-11, my GI Bill. So I didn't want to run out of money, but I still had some left over. And I actually transferred some to my wife and she was actually able to get another master's and then now I got it all back and now I'm able to do like executive level courses. So I got like 26 days left and I'm gonna use every drop of it to ensure that I get whatever education that I can. Um, but so PhD completed in 2018 and now I'm working on a doctor, a doctorate in strategic leadership. And the DC National Guard is actually paying for that um, using tuition assistance. So another thing about National Guard, it's not gonna be the same as uh, the, the Air Force tuition assistance. You can basically get more money or you can actually go to school for free if you go into the actual state. So like Nevada, I believe they're free tuition to go to any of those state schools. So you don't have to pay any tuition on that. Um, and there's a couple other states that are like that if you join their, their National Guard organizations. Um, but using TA to pay for this doctorate in strategic leadership, uh, it's definitely different from the PhD in management. Um, learning some similar things, but uh, 
they're talking about different subjects. So it's, it's definitely, it definitely complements the PhD in management. Um, and then doing that, it looks good on paper to open up other doors. So, and I'm not paying for it. So, you know, take advantage. So, I mean, education is a plus. So that's why I, I preach that, you know, get your education, get as high as you want. Uh, I'll just say, you know, high, the, the, at least a master's degree. But if you want to go for a PhD or a doctorate, do that too. Don't, don't, don't limit yourself. Um, don't say that you can't do it. Um, somebody just needs to put that bug in your ear to be like, hey, I think, I think you have it in you. And then you just got to apply yourself to actually do it. So never, never close the door on getting a PhD or a doctorate degree. So something I've heard when it comes to assistance for you know, tuition, stuff like that, for Air Force and National Guard and stuff like that, do they limit kind of the degrees that you can go for? Uh, so it kind of keeps kind of in the position where they kind of want you to go. Like, so if you're using the federal tuition assistance, you can only go up to a master's degree. But some guard units will pay for your doctorate degree. Okay. And then you also have some programs in the big Air Force that will pay for you to get a doctorate degree, depending on what your career field is. So that's another thing to think about. Right. Um, but more along the lines of like, let's say I want to get an MBA is like, I, I want to get a master's of business, but I'm an engineering, civil engineer in the Air Force or something like that. Would they pay for that? Because that's not really focused towards a civil engineering. If you're using the federal tuition assistance? Yeah. Yeah. So it doesn't matter what you get your master's again. It doesn't okay. matter. Federal tuition assistance. You're only getting about. I think about 4,500 per year. So that's why a lot of people are like, ah, I don't want to use federal tuition assistance because that's only going to pay for like one class because mm -hmm. tuition is pretty expensive. So, so a lot of people, they just, you know, either get the loans or they wait till they can get a, the post 9-11 or they just pay out of pocket using the tuition assistance, the federal tuition assistance. So it just depends on how you want to work it and what is available for you right absolutely um so i do want to run it back a little bit and kind of hit on your careers before your air force career you had i guess was in the air national guard right before rtc mm -hmm. so, so right before rtc i was the deputy base engineer for the dc air national guard and so with being a base engineer you're basically in charge of the campus of whatever um military posts or base that you're at. So you're making sure that all the facilities are taken care of, HVAC, electrical, um, plumbing, you name it. Like if anything breaks down, the base engineer needs to be aware of that so he can send his guys or gals out there to fix whatever issues is occurring on the, on the base. Um, so you're managing all facilities. Uh, you're doing projects to ensure that the campus is um, prepared to sustain the next five to 10 years or whatnot. Um, so you're doing a lot of projects for uh, renovating facilities, uh, energy projects, um, and just beautifying the campus to make sure that it's, it's a nice campus that people will actually want to come to or an installation that people want to come to. So that's what the base civil engineer does. So the base civil engineer goes to a lot of meetings and then the, the deputy base civil engineer is the one that's actually kind of like in the background actually doing stuff. So that's what I was actually doing for the DC Air National Guard, because we're located at Joint Base Andrews. So half of the half of the, the post is kind of like Air and Navy, and then the other half is like the active duty component. So on the Air Navy side, we have, I think about 45 facilities, and those are the ones that I was managing and doing projects for to ensure that, that they were ready for the next generation of airmen and leaders to uh, be able to occupy. Sure. So probably a lot of facility sustainment for the most part, just keeping up with buildings. Did you ever have to like do new constructions or kind of lead any project management in that direction? So we had one project that we were doing a, a new construction on. It was a munition low crew facility because we were getting ready for a new uh, aircraft. So we wanted to get that training facility ready to, uh, you know, actually gain the aircraft and be able to do maintenance on it or whatever. Um, but that project, I was programming for that one. Um, we didn't break ground. They still haven't broke ground because the contractor wasn't actually able to do the actual work that they had selected. So they're going to have to rebid that. 
So a lot of the, the CE stuff that I do is dealing with a lot of contracts. Um, you're working with the contracting officer to make sure that stuff's negotiated properly. Um, and then your boots on the ground, making sure that everything is laid out properly, everything's configured correctly uh, to ensure the project is successful. You know, Because if it's not, then it's gonna be on you being the, the core, which is the contract officer representative. So you gotta know your stuff. So if you're gonna try to be a civil engineer, make sure you're studying. Make sure you you know what you're doing, um, especially when you go to CE 101, which is at Wright Pat. Um, they're definitely gonna lay it out for you. They're gonna give you everything that you need to know to be successful. But I, I believe the the CE career field is definitely one that's pretty fun. Um, uh, actually, going to the schoolhouse, um, I actually went as a captain. It was a whole bunch of second lieutenants, but. I actually learned a lot. You know, I didn't do civil uh, engineering for a while, but I learned a lot when I went back and I learned how the Air Force utilizes civil engineering. So I thought it was a great experience. And then people that actually want to go into the career field, it's a great career field because you get to learn, uh, work with a lot of uh, airmen that are boots on the ground, working with heavy equipment, uh, working with high tech equipment to uh, get projects executed. And then you can do some local projects too, like paving and things of that nature. I mean, it's a fun experience. You're not gonna just be locked up in an office all day. You're gonna be outside looking at projects being developed, being formed up, buildings being erected. Um, it's, it's a fun job, man. Uh, if you get an opportunity, if you, you have an engineering degree, then you're able to actually do it. So I know those are one of the requirements is having some type of engineering degree. So if you have one, think about being a civil engineer. So the big two kind of engineering in the Air Force that people kind of look towards once they commission is kind of civil engineering and then developmental engineering. Mm -hmm. um, what could you, do you know any difference really between the two? Uh, I've heard kind of more civil engineering, so I guess like kind of how you mentioned, like more hands-on um, while developmental is a little, it's maybe more reliant on like maybe private contractors. Um, could you talk about kind of the difference between the two and kind of how much both of them really utilize private contractors for their work? So honestly, can't really speak on research or uh, research and engineering or mainly they're kind of just like research and development. Uh, so they do a lot of research, looking at a lot of data to see how we should approach various um, things within the Air Force or whatnot. Um, but more on the civil engineer side, uh, dealing with contractors is when we issue a contract, the ones that are actually out there, if it's like a bigger project, they usually have a contractor actually doing that. And then the airmen are kind of focused more on just doing like the everyday uh, fixes within the installation itself. So civil engineer officers will go out to the field, work, work directly with a contracting uh, uh, not even a, a contracting a person or a contractor. And we will ensure that we have some type of relationship that we can talk you know, continuously to ensure that the project's being done correctly and uh, there's no issues. And if there are issues, we just got to have that open line of communication to ensure that everything's fixed so that we don't have any delays within the project itself. Um, but with research and development, not really too sure. I'm pretty sure they work a lot with the contractors uh, just on the nature of their their uh, their job, but engineers. The only time frame that we're really working with contractors is when we're actually out in the field and they have like a major project that they're that we have to like outsource it because we can't do it internally. So we have the contractors come in and they'll do it, and uh, we'll just go out there as the cores and double check to make their, make sure the work's done correctly. So that's the relationship comparison on those two entities. Right. Um, I, one thing I kind of want to hit on, just because there are a lot of engineering, especially civil engineering and Air Force RTC and other attachments and stuff like that, looking towards this career field. How important would you say um, is the tribute, not only to really knowing your stuff, like you mentioned, going to civil engineering school and stuff like that, but like really being uh, a strong communicator and just a leader, um, especially when it comes to civil engineering, where you're managing projects and you have to get stuff done. Um, I had the experience this summer to kind of be in a project management kind of role as an intern, be able to see it a little bit. Um, would you say project management, especially civil engineering is a lot more leadership than probably some people maybe expect just thinking engineering? I say it's about 50-50 because 
as a civil engineer, you're going to be programming. So when, when you're programming projects, you're going to be doing statements of work. You're going to be looking at the data. You're going to be looking at the, the specs. You're going to be pretty much utilizing everything that you learned during your undergrad and putting that to, putting that to work. And then on the other side of that 50%, you're going to have to be out in the field. You got to communicate with your, your airmen. And that's when you got to have that foundational leadership to actually form relationships and be an inspirational leader when you're out there. Um, leading by example, because they're the ones that are actually swinging the hammers. When you're a, when you're a 0102 going out to job sites, you're not going to be swinging hammers. You're going up, you're, you're going out there to check up on the work to make sure that, you know, everything's being done correctly. I mean, if there are any issues, you're kind of relaying that information up to uh, your boss or your boss's boss to ensure that you get whatever resources you need in order to be successful. So it's, it, you got to have both. Um, you got to have that technical expertise, which you're going to get as an undergrad and even in graduate school and at CE 101. And then you got to have that leadership style that you know facilitates constant growth for, for your airmen and it powers them to be better airmen and um you're going to get that during rotc or you'll get that during the beginning stages of your military career uh once you hit active duty so but both are important and both need to be constantly worked on um, if you don't feel like you're a strong leader get a get a mentor get a coach get somebody to help you about various weak points in your your leadership um read leadership books uh so that you can educate yourself on being a better leader uh understand the experiences that other people have went through so definitely ask questions on some of the the older cadets within the detachment like hey how'd you handle this situation how'd you go through this um what do you think about this type of scenario so that i can be ready for it when I reached that in my military career. So definitely ask questions, but both are definitely necessary. And then if you are proficient in both, then you're gonna excel in the CE career field because a lot of people that don't are kind of lacking in one of the two, so. Right, makes sense. You kind of need to understand, have a, know what you're talking about in a sense if you're gonna try to lead people, so. Um, I guess moving on from that career field, your next step was Air Force RTC. Um, was that something mm -hmm. you were chosen for or something you kind of, again, just kind of got put in? No, I actually chose to do that. Um, I always wanted to be a cadre for ROTC um, and then have an opportunity to go Air Force ROTC. I thought that was a blessing because uh, I actually wanted to have that influence on the next generation of leaders um, and just be around cadets all day you know just get that energy just to renew yourself because you know being in the, the military uh, you're around the same processes like every day uh, for a majority of your, your career so just having that breath of fresh air just get something different and something new um, and it re-energizes you I, I felt like that assignment definitely did that for me it gave me a whole new life or a whole new view on the military um, and, and I really enjoyed actually going to work. So if you're actually able to enjoy going to work, then you're in a good gig. So I enjoyed it. So, but I love doing it. I know the cadets kind of hated that energy that I was bringing. Cause I was kind of just, uh, in my, in my job, in my position, I was that authority figure and, and some people just didn't want that. They, I could, I couldn't, you know, not, not, I, I had to do that, you know, so, but me in reality, I'm a different guy than I was as an OFC, you know what I'm saying? So I'm definitely down to earth. I had to play a part. So the cadets that are out there that, that thought I was mean, just know that I had to play a part and, and, and I, I guess I played it well. Um, but uh, I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed mentoring, coaching the cadets and uh, getting them ready for becoming Air Force officers. So it was a great experience. Yeah, I definitely took a lot from it. I think everyone responds to leadership in different ways, which is a good lesson to learn from. But yeah, I mean, um, so definitely you would say kind of impacted kind of your perspective a little bit more on leadership. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, 
I feel like in that assignment, I was able to apply the different theories that I was learning about leadership, being more of a servant, being more of an authoritative style of leadership, uh, being more participative if I needed to be. Um, but I had various scenarios when I was able to actually apply the various the theories that you learn um, as a leader. And it was a great assignment and just having different personalities and seeing the development of cadets is the same thing that you'll get with airmen. You'll see them grow, mature, become more leaders in their own way of uh, operating. So um, once you become second lieutenant, you, you're gonna get that feeling too of like really making a difference, uh, feeling like your job is impactful, being motivated to actually come to work and make a difference and grow, grow the, the masses that you're responsible for. So it's worth it. Um, something that I really, I really enjoy that I'm passionate about. Um, and uh, it, it motivates me to actually come to work. You, you gotta have some type of motivation to keep you going in this military career. Um, not everything's gonna motivate you, but once you have that, that factor, that it that gets you there, then you can hold on to that it or that factor and, and continue to let that push you. And uh, being there for the cadets, that was what that it was for me. Um, and then just, just seeing y'all grow, uh, it was just a great experience. So if you have an opportunity to actually do ROTC and be a cadre, I would definitely say do it and give back get back to the cadets, um, try to give, give them some golden nuggets to be successful for the next, for the next generation so that they, they can lead and be effective. Um, so you can give those airmen effective leaders out in the ranks um, so that they ain't just out there leading blindly. So, but ROTC is definitely a good assignment to have. I enjoyed it. Uh, do you have any perspective on possible cadets that just commissioned looking into like gold bar recruiting? Um, obviously not the same as a cadre, but still the experience to kind of be around a different attachment and different group of people. So I actually did gold bar recruiting when I was a, a army cadet. So I actually did it at Howard University. Um, so as a gold bar, the biggest thing that you should be doing is absorbing all the knowledge that you can from the cadre that you're with whatever school you're at. So absorbing all that information so you can be ahead of your peers for when you, whenever you go to your duty station or you go to your, to your school for training. Um, still, you know, still be innovative and creative and try to recruit in different ways um, so that you can stand out from your other goal bar recruiters. But do that as well as get that information, that knowledge from the folks at the detachment that you're a part of um, that's crucial because they'll they'll educate you they'll 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 give you the lay of the land and show you what right looks like there mm -hmm. um, so definitely be a sponge at your detachment get that information i know your primary responsibility probably be, you know recruiting and making sure that you got your numbers and things of that nature but you still need to be able to get that information from the cadre members because they got a lot of knowledge, especially if you have good cadre members that are actually willing to sit down and mentor and coach you. Um, definitely take advantage of that if you can, if you have good cadre members. Not all detachment have good cadre members. So um, if you feel like you do, then definitely sit down with them a lot. Just keep picking their brain, trying to get all that information out of their, out of their skull. So make sure that you're doing that, getting that information. Right, and then probably, I guess, learning from the poor cadre members and you know, seeing what they're doing wrong. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you can learn from the poor cadre members too, learn what not to do. Um, and when you're learning what not to do, just sit back and just take note of what you won't do as a leader, but the ones that you truly feel are inspirational leaders and you see them having an impact on the, the attachment, those are the ones you actually wanna go up and approach and have conversations with, try to pick their brain try to get them as a mentor, uh, especially being a second lieutenant. Um, but those are the ones you actually really want to pursue, pick their brain and get that information from. Uh, the bad ones, just sit back and watch, eat your popcorn. <laughs> right, and then probably take that into your actual first career position and kind of do the same in a sense. Yeah. Find, find your leaders, find your senior NCOs and 
that sort of thing as well. Yeah. So senior NCOs are key. They're the they're the backbone of the Air Force, the of the military. Um, they they're the ones that make things happen. So you definitely want if we're looking at this like survivor, you want to make alliances with those senior NCOs. You want to make sure that you're they're on your team. Um, because typically they're the ones with the golden idol. They, they're the ones that are gonna make you successful. So have a good relationship with them. Even though you outrank them, um, definitely treat them with respect. You know, uh, honestly, like when I encountered my, my NCOs, my senior NCOs, I didn't, I didn't come from a place of me outranking them. I just came from a place of uh, actually wanting to be better, um, a, a, a place of being humble um, because all the, the soldiers or all the airmen, they're the ones that's listening to them, really. And I really, I mean, they'll say yes, sir, to you and keep them moving, but they're getting their directions from senior, from senior non-commissioned officers. So those are the ones you really want to build a, a great relationship with and really actually get to know them, know their ins and their outs, what makes them click, um, really understand what they're all about. Because once you do that and you, you, you get their buy-in, you're gonna get the buy-in from all your airmen. And that's what you want. You wanna get the buy-in from your airmen so it makes your job easier to, to lead them and inspire them when they see that you have a great relationship with their leader. Cause I mean, that's gonna be their immediate leader that's senior NCO or the NCO. Um, so definitely get, get a great relationship or a great rapport with those guys or those gals. So definitely build a relationship with your NCOs. So after, uh, Dead three thirty. You moved on to Air National Guard again. Yes. What What was the position there? So I was the secretary of general staff. Um, that responsibility entailed uh, managing the correspondence of the commanding general as well as the adjutant general. Commanding the commanding general is a two star. Uh, the adjutant general is a one star. Uh, managing their correspondence managing their, their meetings. Um, they have executive assistants and I was managing their executive assistants too, um, but just making sure that they were, that everything was coordinated so that they can flawlessly execute their job. Uh, all the minor things, kind of like DTS, um, uh, setting up meetings for them to go to like to the Pentagon or if they needed to go to the National Guard Bureau, setting those up, doing their travel vouchers, uh, they, their, their executive assistants handled their leave. I didn't, I didn't really handle that, but just managing their schedule, making sure that, that, that time was efficiently allotted for them to be successful with their job. Um, ran into a lot of challenges actually, because you know managing the executive assistants, those executive assistants are still reporting up to those general officers. Those general officers outrank me, so they could tell them to do whatever they need to do. But I was still responsible for those executive assistants. So it kind of made my job hard, but you got to find a way to actually execute. Um, so I still made that happen. And you're going to run into the challenges like that in the big Air Force as well, um, that people are going to be going directly to somebody else that's outranking you, but you're responsible for them. Um, but you still got to find a way to perform the job. Um, you got to still find a way to lead, find a way to manage. and. Uh, do it without complaining because a lot of people will see that type of situation and complain and complain some more but it's not there for you to just complain it's there for you to learn and it's, it's there for you to adapt so those type of situations you got to learn from them and you got to adjust you got to adjust how you operate um so i mean i adjusted and uh i learned how to be a, a good secretary of general staff which is a sgs so i was a i was a pretty good sgs i would say um but uh I did that for about 18 months and now I'm currently in my new assignment and um, I enjoyed that assignment as well. It gave me an opportunity to see things at a more strategic level, uh, seeing meetings with a lot of GOs. Um, honestly, in the army, I didn't really have any exposure to general office. I had any exposure to general officers. I had few exposures to colonels so having this opportunity to actually talking with general officers on a daily basis, that's a, that's pretty amazing. Yeah. Um, and then those general general officers have relationships with people throughout the whole uh, DC 
area. So I was going to meetings when we had to talk to the mayor. Um, they had to go to the White House, uh, to the Pentagon. Uh, so it gives you uh, the ability to see higher level meetings, higher level decisions being made, Make those um, higher level interactions. Mm -hmm. So, so how did you end up from after Air Force RTC getting into these types of positions, which seem very not in civil engineering at all? Um, so you you got to have broadening career broadening assignments. Mm -hmm. uh, so some assignments is all about who you know, word of mouth. So this is one of those kind of like who you know type uh, situations because I knew the SGS prior to me and I knew he was about to leave. So I was like, okay, I need to get back into the guard because I need to pin on 04. So I was like, all right, I got to make this move. So a lot of a lot of times, especially in the guard, it's, a, it's about how you want to maneuver your own career. Um, just nobody's really managing your career unless you like active duty does a better job of managing your career but a lot of times the decisions that they make isn't not necessarily the decision that you want for your career so but in the guard side you have to manage your own career so oh I, I was i wasn't looking for the opportunity but it came across me so i took advantage of it um and then i had to curtail my orders and then jump back into the air national guard and uh take a take him on this assignment or that last assignment that I was with. Um, but it's all about, you know, what's your network and what opportunities are available to, to determine like, you know, what are you gonna jump to next? But uh, it was a great assignment. I learned a lot, um, got a lot of mentorship from a two-star and a one-star general and a lot of colonels. So it was, a, it was a great assignment for a high level type assignment. So I liked it. Right. Yeah, that seems almost like the business world in a sense where you kind of need to make connections and find your way into opportunities for different positions and stuff like that. Sometimes we think in the Air Force and we just think we're assigned positions and we put where we're kind of given. Um, but it doesn't seem entirely like that, per se, especially in the Air National Guard, which is interesting. Yeah, definitely in the Air National Guard. But I think the military in general, if you look at it like a business, then you'll be a little bit more successful because you got to form those networks, even like knowing somebody at uh, AFPC. If you know somebody over there, then, you know, they can try to hook you up with a particular assignment or, you know, give you the ins and out on something that might pop up. So it's just, you definitely got to have a good network of folks that you deal with. Um, and then, you know, have some, some folks outside your network that you're still dealing with. Not, that's not in your immediate network, uh, but you got to have some type of network and you just can't be, you know, just loaning it out and just being by yourself trying to, you know, manage your career and just get, be getting tossed like assignments. Um, so you, you got to be an advocate for your own career. And if you're not, then you're just going to be floating through the Air Force. So where you are now, um, have your civil engineering bachelor's, master's in environmental, uh, your doctorate in management going for your second doctorate in strategic leadership. Where do you see your future going? Uh, where do I see my future? Um, honestly, where I wanted to go, I wanna possibly one day be a general officer. And that's all about network and what opportunities are available. So, but if not a general officer, then make colonel, and get out after my 20 years of active service and go try to be in a C-suite somewhere, depending on what it is, maybe something operational or some type of operational organization. Um, but get to 06 if I can't make GO and then try to get in a C-suite uh, based on all my experiences, my career. Um, and if maybe not the C-suite, then try to get into academia again and go up the ranks there and try to do something high level there, some type of executive type stuff there. Um, but I want to do something that's going to be impactful um, and not really just sit around and uh, just be a worker. I want to be some a position that I'm able to make strategic decisions for the organization and uh, ensure, the, ensure the success of the people that are actually within it. Um, but uh, 
I don't know. I mean, being in the guard, it's kind of like, all right, what's, what, what's popping open? Uh, I didn't know ROTC was going to be popping open. And, you know, one day it did, and I kind of just went into it. Uh, didn't know that I was going to be, well, I didn't know the D.C. National Guard was going to have the SGS position open. And then one day it did, you know, I rolled into it. So it just depends on the opportunities. It depends on who I know that can get me to, to different places. Uh, so, and then I want to get to different places so I can help out people that I know. All my cadets, help them out. Like, hey, General Richardson, we need you. I'm like, all right, what I sign, you know? But uh, yeah, so I, I definitely want to get to a platform that I can make changes and impact people's lives for the better. So do you see this career in the Air Force staying within the Air National Guard? Oh, uh, yeah, definitely just going to stay within the Air National Guard. Because um, a lot of times with the, within the Air National Guard, I can branch off into the active duty realm. Um, they gave me they gave me that, that flexibility to do so. So I'm definitely going to stay Air National Guard. Does that kind of limit you to D.C. Air National Guard? Do you kind of stay in kind of the unit that you're in or? No. So actually uh, being in the Air National Guard, you can transfer units. Um, so they actually had this um, civil engineering commander position that opened up in the Virgin Islands. If I wanted to do that, I can apply for it. And if they wanted me, I can go over there and do some some active duty time over there as well. So you, you got the whole U.S. A to do whatever you want, all the states, all the territories, Virgin Islands, Puerto Rico. Um, those are the two territories. Uh, and then you got all the states that you can select from. All of them, everybody has a guard unit though. So another thing you were talk, mentioned about a little bit um, was C-suite. Um, to some of the listeners that might not be tracking on that, could you explain that to them? So the C-suite is like your executive level leadership. So your CEO, your COO, your vice presidents uh, for our organization, that's your C-suite. And then below that, you got your directors. Um, so that's another goal that people should be striving for is becoming like a director, um, but potentially getting up to the C-suite so that you can make some real strategic decisions with the organization that you're a part of. And then a good thing about being in the guard, like if you didn't want to do the guard full time, you could still do it traditionally and you can still you know, get your retirement at the age, of, I think, of 60. Um, but you can still pursue a career uh, working with an organization outside the military and um, pursue that, get retirement, whatever. But you can have two different careers if you wanted to. But uh, but like with me, I don't think I'm just stick with uh, doing active duty time. Um, I, I feel like I have a lot of different avenues that I can um, strategically go to within the Air National Guard. So that makes it really, uh, really attractive for me to stay within the, the Air National Guard. So that's a big reason I'm gonna stay. Sure. Um, when you mentioned those executive roles, was there is there any types of businesses or organizations that you kind of feel like you're more inclined to versus others? Uh, honestly, honestly, man, I, I, I'm open to various businesses like, you know, cause you know, there's a, uh, being a civil engineer, you can get into like real estate because real estate has a lot of, or real estate companies cause they got a lot of, you know, facilities. So they need people to manage those facilities. Um, or you can just get into like a lot of companies that do government contracts, like the SAIC, the Lido's, um, there's a lot of opportunities for being an officer. You get a good security clearance, secret clearance, or if you got a better job that has a little bit more secret squirrel stuff, you can get you a top secret clearance, top secret SCI. So right now I got top secret SCI, um, but there's a lot of opportunities for you to excel. And then you're gonna excel past your peers, the people that you're graduating with, they're typically not gonna be making as much as you are gonna be making as a second lieutenant. Um, so you're going to be excelling past them there and it's, it's on you to make sure you keep that, that divide and keeping that divide is getting that professional development in and outside the military. So there's a, there's a plethora of classes or online classes that you can take to, you know, prepare yourself as a leader, but you got to also think about those, those courses that you can take outside the military 
for instance, like going to Wharton, uh, Dartmouth has some like good courses, uh, Harvard. So there's different courses that can excel you as a second lieutenant or just as an Air Force officer. So definitely be thinking outside the box on like how you can um, market yourself, especially like when you're being evaluated against your peers, trying to get a higher ranking or get strated a little higher so you can get particular jobs that you want within your career field. Um, so once you're on track for, so once you, the leadership sees that you're a, a certain type of, of lieutenant, like, oh man, that, that LT is like a high, a high achiever. Like they're making things happen. They're gonna put you on like a career path. They're gonna put you on a career path to ensure that you excel and push you to either Colonel or maybe even GL. So make sure that you're putting yourself out there in front of those leaders so that they can see that you're an asset, not a liability, that you make things happen. Um, but uh, but the, the career field, like, I don't know. Uh, I don't know what company, whoever is giving me the most money. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, the individual we had on our podcast earlier um, was Mr. Matt Collins, my dad actually went to school with, and he did flew fighters for a little bit, did commercial airline pilot, and then transitioned into sales, and now he's sales leadership. He got this position at Oculus, learned how to do, like, the cloud and all that kind of stuff, and expanded into more mm -hmm. sales leadership. Uh, related to the cloud, which he had knew nothing about until he worked at Oculus in that position. So um, seems like a lot of opportunities, like, from kind of, like, what you learn in the military to expand further into different careers outside the military as well. So, um, Yeah, I mean, I know nothing about – Artificial intelligence. Maybe after this, you will. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I'm we all ingrained in the AI now. I'm, I'm gonna be spun up, and I'm a, and maybe take that into the into the to the uh, private sector and see what happens with that. So, we'll see. Let's see. Oh, I do have a good question. Um, I kind of want to hear your insight and kind of what you have done uh, throughout your career to kind of prepare yourself financially. Oh, financially. Um, so it's all about paying off debt. Um, you know, once you get money as a second lieutenant, it's going to be definitely more money that you've seen in your college career. Um, big thing that I say is invest extra money. That's one thing I didn't do that I wish I did was invest into stocks or just invest into whatever period invest in the real estate invest your extra money that you are just kind of like pocketing and don't really need invest your money because what it's going to do is going to help you out when you get kids and you get a wife or whatever it's going to help you out when you become a captain because you already investing you got stocks you get dividends whatever but get that passive income get passive income if i could redo it I would invest in real estate or I would invest in stocks so I could be already getting this passive income. Um, and then invest in like technology, invest in companies that are like uh, on the horizon that are about to um, you know, open up to the public. Uh, like when I was in college, that's when like Facebook was coming up. Um, if I would invest in that, man, we wouldn't even be talking right now. Um, but Invest, invest in, in ventures that you think are about to be the next big thing. Invest. I mean, take a risk. You ain't got to invest all your money, but invest some. You know, just have, get some, get some gold nuggets out. You know, plant those gold nuggets out everywhere. You know, you'll get you a beautiful tree. And then they'll, they'll pour in more gold nuggets for you. Um, but invest and then invest in your professional development. Because um, that's what's going to get you to the next job. Uh, that's what's going to get you spotlighted by your leadership. Profession, uh, investing in your professional development. So invest in stocks, invest in real estate, and invest in yourself. Those are the three things you need to invest in. Listen up, cadets. Invest. Um, invest. Invest, absolutely. Well, overall, I think this is about all I have. Um, is there anything else you want to hit on? Anything you want to share to cadets that might be listening? So... Be a sponge, be a sponge, be a sponge right now as you're in ROTC. Uh, this is the time for you to fail. So this is the time for you to take risks and your like leadership um, and your way of thinking, take risks, fail, 
and then reevaluate how you're doing things. So be a sponge and take risks because when you hit the real world and you hit being actually a leader amongst other leaders and you're in charge of airmen, honestly, that's not really the time for you to fail, but as a second lieutenant, they give you the, the wiggle room to fail. But when you make first lieutenant and captain, you are looked at as not even um, in the realm of failing ever. So you need to ensure that you're failing at the ROTC level and at that second lieutenant, first lieutenant level, and then captain, you need to make, make sure you're squared away. But uh, be a sponge, take risks, fail, um, but be open-minded. Be open-minded to the, the lessons that people are trying to give you. And, and the lessons can come from airmen, because you know, a lot of airmen out here, they got PhDs. And they're just kind of like going into the Air Force because they need something else to do. So remember that you can learn from the lowest ranking person, maybe even the youngest person within your ranks. Um, and then go get a get a mentor. Get a mentor, somebody that can educate you to ensure that you're you're good to go along the way of your career. Get a mentor, get a coach, um, get an advisor, because all these things aren't the same thing. Uh, and then you know, be great. <laughs> be great. Um, be have confidence in yourself. Have confidence in the way you're leading. Um, you're in this program for a reason. You're in this program because the cadre believe that you have the potential to be better than what you are, or the cadre believe that you're ready to excel and be a leader within the Air Force. So be great. Be confident. Um, and then if you have that confidence, share that confidence with your peers that need a little more assistance. Uh, get them spun up. Um, that's that's all. That's the best thing about being a, a leader is that you know how to be a follower too. So use that followership and then help out those other guys and gals that need that need that confidence, that boost of confidence, so that they can lead and be successful within the program too. Um, but uh, you know, just help each other out and uh, just be ready. Be ready for that next level in your career as a second lieutenant in the United States Air Force. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Uh, thank you so much for coming on. I uh, really do appreciate it. Um, Hopefully I'll see you sometime soon, the big blue or anywhere else, but. Yes, sir. Thanks again, really do appreciate it. Yeah, I appreciate you having me on, uh, it was a pleasure. It was an honor and a pleasure to have, have me on and just being on this platform talking to the cadets, I, I enjoyed it. Yeah, absolutely, it's definitely some good content on here. Uh, we'll make sure every single cadet gets to listen to this because they definitely should. So um, thanks again. Um, Hopefully see you soon and have a good weekend. Okay, you too. All right, bye. Bye. Thank you all for listening. Don't forget to check out our social media. We are both on Instagram at AFROTC at underscore debt 330 and on Facebook at Air Force ROTC Detachment 330 uh, hyphen University of Maryland. Also, shout out to Cadet Bobby Robinson for the intro music. You got some sweet bars.